This week is the second week of Advent. And I have to be honest from the outset, when I came here to Redeemer, I didn't know what Advent meant. I mean, I heard the word, but I came from a different kind of church, and we didn't really use that term often. I think I thought it meant Christmas. I mean, I thought that's basically what Advent was. It's a replacement word. Advent is just another fancier way to say Christmas. But Advent, I think, is something more important than Christmas. Advent has more gravity. It is heavier and deeper and more significant than Christmas. This is not a replacement word. We don't use this word because Advent isn't yet associated with consumer spending or with cultural excess or with drunken office parties and spoiled children. Don't be fooled. We don't use that word to avoid the baggage as if it were just some less loaded synonym for Christmas. We celebrate Advent because Advent means something profound. I'm going to read you a definition. This week I googled Advent and this is the first thing that pops up. No kidding. Advent. Advent. Noun. Definition. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Example. The advent of television. Synonyms. Arrival. Appearance. Emergence. Materialization. Occurrence. Dawn. Birth. Rise. In Christian theology, the coming or second coming of Christ. Dawn. Rise. Arrival. If you close your eyes and you see a rising sun, you're beginning to catch a glimpse of the corner of the shadow of the significance of Advent. Advent is the celebration of the rising sun, of the dawn of a new day, a dawn that breaks the sorrow and pain of a long and treacherous night. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the dawn of Jesus. I want to talk about not one, but two bright mornings. I want to talk about warm light vanquishing cold darkness. When we celebrate Advent, we celebrate the dawn of Christ twice. We celebrate two moments, the two greatest moments ever. We look backwards and we see the Word of God taking flesh. We see the Good Shepherd laying down his rights, his life for his sheep. We see a husband lay down his life for his bride. That's one dawn, but that's only half of what we celebrate. What I want to do today is to take a few steps back. I want to turn the pages from the manger, from the wise men, from the star and the shepherds and the angels. I want to look at ancient prophecy. I want to look at the words of the men who looked forward to the Messiah that would rescue them only after tens of thousands of days of war and depression and persecution and exile and hunger and thirst and isolation. I want to look at the prophets who knew that generation after generation would die in war and exile and suffering and chains And I want to capture the hope that characterized their faith, a faith that pierces through sorrow and holds firm with sun-beaten, bloody knuckles to a distant hope that a new day is coming. 
I want to look at the men who saw Christ as their only hope for rescue, for freedom, for reconciliation. I want to see what they saw. And I want to paint a picture of that second dawn, the second advent that we celebrate every December. I want you to walk away from this season anchored with the same ironclad hope as the ancient prophets of old. I want you to see Jeremiah, to see Daniel, to see Isaiah, and to think, that's my brother. I want you to think, yes, brother, I too carry these chains. I too weep over the oppression of great enemies. I too see the darkness of my own sinful bent. And I too look forward to that great king, that bright shining dawn of the coming son of David, who will one day, probably many years from now, finally rescue me from sorrow. We're going to look at three great slave songs of Israel. We're going to re- read the poetic, the pro- I'm sorry, we're going to read the prophetic poems of the oppressed sons of Abraham. We're going to put them on like glasses. And we're going to look through the lens of these ancient promises towards the not yet hope in the already Jesus. I want to repeat what I just said because I think it sums up what I'm trying to do here. I want you to look through these prophetic poems and I want you to hear the song of generations of slaves. I want you to look straight through these promises and see your coming king, your only hope for rescue. In other words, when you think about Jesus, when you think about his work, I want you to think, I want you to look forward, not just backwards. The children of Israel, the sons of Abraham, they hope in the incarnation. They hope in the death of the Messiah. They hope in his resurrection, but they hope further. They look to the east and they see the orange-red rising of their final rescue. The incarnation, death, and resurrection of the Messiah was the beginning of their rescue story. Their hope was in a king. He will come someday and he will finish his forever rescue and he will reign over them in peace and justice unending. Advent is about two dawns. It's about the already, about the baby Jesus, the infant king of all creation, who came and took on flesh so he could bear our sins and die in our place. This is the already. Our redemption is secured. He has saved us, past tense. But equally important, Advent is about the not yet, about the coming king surrounded by angelic armies. It is about the defeat of our enemy, It is about triumphant shouts and trumpets and bent knees and confessions. It is about the renewal of all things. It is about the wiping of every tear. It is about the foundations of a new kingdom. It is about an approachable throne. It is about an adopted family secured and worshiping forever and ever. This is the hope of Advent. Advent praises Christ because he has saved us. And Advent praises Christ because he will save us. Advent is about the already and the not yet. So let's look to the whispered songs of slaves and let's set our hope in the coming king who will rescue them. Turn to Isaiah 9. Now before we get started, I want to talk for a moment about context. I want to talk about the situation of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Because I'm not sure that you can understand the gravity of these words without understanding the breadth and weight of Israel's sin and God's zeal to destroy that sin forever. 
Isaiah and Jeremiah were writing to a stunningly rebellious and shockingly idolatrous people. Your understanding of both of their meanings, of the messages of both Isaiah writing about 200 years before the exile and Jeremiah who personally saw generations leaving Jerusalem in chains, depends on your comprehension of the truly staggering sin of the rescued sons of Israel. Take a step back for a moment and think about the story of God's people. These are the sons of Abraham, obscure, nationless, childless Abraham, who was promised more more sons than stars, who was promised a seed through whom the nations would be blessed. These were a hungry family, rescued from famine by the grace of God through the faithfulness of a chosen son. This was a nation of slaves rescued from bondage and cruelty by a royal heir. This was a nation without a home, escorted step by step by pillar of fire and column of smoke to grapes the size of fists and flowing milk and honey. This was a bride who, though rescued from prostitution, though washed clean, though clothed in white wedding dress, though provided a home in which to feast, turned again to the streets and abandoned the husband who loved her. If you get this story, the gravity of the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah will resonate with you. You'll read words like, Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord and they have despised the Holy One of Israel. You'll read these words and you'll think of a chosen and beloved people who turned away, making a great enemy of their only hope. You'll read words like, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. You'll read these words and they'll cast a vision for you, an image of a blind and wicked people who turned away from their father, from their bridegroom. That's the context. The people of Israel have turned away from the living God to idols of stone. They have sinned, and they have sinned, and they have sinned, and they have sinned, and they have sinned sinned against their good father. They haven't just broken the covenant, they have smashed it to pieces. They have rejected their faithful husband, You need to think about the sin of Israel and your sin in these terms. A wife has traded her kind and faithful husband for affair after affair after affair after affair. They have bowed down to idol after idol after idol. They enjoyed the sweet rains, the rising sun, the warm summer, and they worshipped not the God of all creation, but the idol of sun and storm. 
They looked upon their families, upon the harvest, upon the fruit of farm and field, and they worshipped not the God who fashioned them from the dust and gave them the promised land, but the idol of sex and fertility. They turned away from their only hope, and their only hope gave them over to their sin. He gave them up. The promised land has suffered long enough under the sins of Israel. And this patient God, slow to anger, will will by no means leave sin unpunished. The people of God were cast away from the promised land, bound in chains. The sons of Abraham are exiled from the presence of God. They are scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Truly, this is a dark and painful night. The despair of the people of Israel is palpable. But if you listen closely, you may hear the sweet song of Isaiah whispering hope to the hopeless. And if you look to the east, you might see the warm orange red of a rising sun promising rescue from slavery. Read with me from Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, when we read this text, we can occasionally forget the people to whom it was written. But the message of Isaiah was written to comfort those who would shed their blood in war, who would be conquered, who would wear chains, who would be oppressed. Look again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And again, for the yoke of his burden and a staff for his shoulder... The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as a fuel for the fire. When the exiles of Israel whispered the words of the song of Isaiah, they were singing songs of revolution. A new government is coming and will no longer bear the burdens of our oppressor will no longer be prodded by the rod of an illegitimate king. Did you catch that reference to Midian? Do you remember the story of Midian, when the people of Israel, oppressed by wicked armies, were rescued by an unexpected redeemer, by the least of the sons of the least of the families of Israel? That's a picture of the rescue of God's people. A Messiah is coming, and he will break the rod of a corrupt dictator, He will shatter the yoke of his children's burden. 
The rescuer of the people of God will shatter the crown of a wicked king and he will restore the honor of his adopted brothers and sisters. The exiles of Israel whispered this song of hope for years. And they did so because when they woke in the morning, they woke to carry the burdens of an illegitimate tyrant. They woke knowing that abuse was coming. They felt the misery of a dark night and a wicked empire. That's why they sing this song, because it reminds them that rescue is coming. We too daily encounter the reign of a wicked king. We too see the rule and reign of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. His oppression is real. His influence is real. He is a liar. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And when you see true wickedness, you are encountering the signs, the influence of his reign. When you watch the news and when you encounter the unspeakable, when you have to panic to shut off the radio because your children are too young to know how desperately wicked are the sons of disobedience, when you weep and despair over the truly unspeakable suffering of this world, whisper to yourself this song of hope. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This song is an invitation to join the ancient chorus to whisper words of revolution about the coming Christ who will return and he will defeat Satan and he will establish a kingdom of unending peace. His government is perfect. This song, the song of the wonderful counselor, this song is a song of revolution. This song whispers promises of a coup. This song declares that the present wicked ruler of this fallen world will be defeated and a government will be established that is perfect. There is no end to peace when good King Jesus reigns forever. Uh, This is an aside, but I thought it was worth mentioning that every time I'm asked about politics, when I'm asked who I vote for, I joke that I'm going to write in Jesus. I'm kidding when I say it, But every time I say it, something inside me yearns. I mean, it's a yearning that stretches from deep within me because I look at the men and women who run for office and I cannot help but see their weakness, their insufficiency. But one day the government will be upon his shoulders. One day the son of David will reign. Hope, Christian. Hope in the advent. Hope in the great revolution, the coup of the son of David. Jesus is coming someday. He is coming and when he arrives, he will destroy our enemy. For unto us a child has been born and the government will rest upon his shoulders. So a great king is coming. He will establish his kingdom and his will be a kingdom of the righteous. Turn with me to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Read with me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, 
and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he, by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are de- coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people out of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Remember, Jeremiah is writing to a people cast away from the promised land. He is writing to generations who will die in exile because of their own rebellion. And his message is a promise of righteousness. Look again. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he, will be, he, this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. A righteous branch will save Judah and save Israel. And what is his name? The Lord is our righteousness. This, the generation of exiles blackened by sin, will be rescued by the Lord is our righteousness. And if that isn't clear enough, look at the nature of their praise. They shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought us, brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and, of all, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. The song of the rescued exiles of Israel is no longer, song, no longer a song of once bound, now free slaves. This is a song of once exiled from the presence of God rebels, now rescued into the presence of God's sons. I want you to think about this praise for a moment. This slave song has two verses. First, the promise of rescue is a promise of righteousness. Not their own righteousness, but the righteousness of another. Second, The song they sing in praise is a song of rescue into the presence of God. The praise of the nation of Israel has shifted. No longer do we sing because we were born slaves and now are free. Now we sing because we made ourselves slaves as a consequence of sin, but now are free because of the righteousness of Christ. When the great and wise king comes to rule his people, he will rescue them from the consequences of their own sin. I want to repeat that because I think it's important. When King Jesus comes, he will rescue his people from the consequences of their own sin. The people of Israel were cast out of the promised land. They were sent away in exile for one reason. Repeat after me. They were exiles because they were rebels. They were exiles Because they were rebels. They lost their families. They lost their jobs. They lost their homes and their children and their safety and their food because they made a great enemy of their only hope. They did it. They lost their husband because they turned to prostitution. The exile was a consequence of their sin. 
But when the Lord is our righteousness comes, he will wipe away the consequences of their sin forever. Such is the nature of our great redemption. Look, I, I, th- I thought what you might be thinking right now. This has already happened for us. On the spectrum of already to not yet, this is on the already side. We have been justified by the work of Christ. We no longer bear the judgment of God against our sin. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. He traded his righteousness for my sin. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Because I wear Christ's righteousness, I am reconciled to God. I have been adopted. I can approach the throne whenever I want. I can ask for help in time of need, even if it's 3 a.m. But that's not what I think this means, or at least it's not all that I think this means. Look, part of the pain of sin is that it has consequences. Real consequences that are lasting Sometimes they last for generations. I have personally seen affairs rip families apart, never to recover. I have personally seen pornography warp the the minds of men who, although they repent, although they plead, yet fight with every fiber of their being not to remember. I have personally seen fits of anger yield sharp words that splinter the mind and injure the heart of innocent children, and they will not forget those words. We live every single day in the midst of the consequences of a multitude of sins. Even as believers, though we are reconciled, though we have felt the warmth of fellowship, though we can approach the throne of grace, Though we have hope, we yet carry the scars of our own sin and the scars of the sin of others. When Christ returns, he will wipe away every tear. And these consequences, the ripple effect of sin that causes suffering and pain and isolation and fear, these consequences will cease forever. Bitterness destroyed forever, never to return. Anger destroyed forever, never to return. Unforgiveness destroyed forever, never to return. Hate destroyed forever, never to return. And then we will sing as the Lord lives who brought us up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of exile. Christian, hope in the advent. Hope in the rising dawn of the great son of David who will destroy our enemy and who will rescue us from the consequences of our own sin. Hope in the arrival of the great king who will end our sorrow forever. And when you suffer because of the ripple effects of your own sin, when you suffer because the consequences of your own rebellion or the rebellion of others, sing this slave's song and remember the hope of the second advent. There's one more. This one's my favorite. I've saved the best slave song until the end. Turn to Isaiah 53. Read with me. Who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtain of your habitations be be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will, not, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord you, he has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. For your maker is your husband. You will not be ashamed, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. You will not be ashamed. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. I hid my face from you, but with never-ending love I will have compassion on you. How? How can a just God have compassion on wicked people? How? How can a God who defeats sin save a sinning people? How? 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. A people cast away from the presence of God. A people carrying the full weight of their sin. A people bearing the burden of their shame sings slave songs of a Redeemer who will wipe away their sin forever. The greatest gift of the Advent next to Christ is the decimation of sin. The greatest gift of Advent next to Christ is the final forever decimation of sin. The exiled sons of Abraham were slaves to more than tyrants. They were slaves to passions. They were slaves to idols. They were cast away from the presence of Creator because they could not stop worshiping created things. They were slaves to their sin. They were bound not just with chains of Babylon, but with the chains of sin. And when they felt the gravity of their sin, their guilt, they sang slave songs about a coming Redeemer. When they felt the pull of their sin nature, when they remembered that sin is a liar, that it offers no real joy, that it gives no lasting pleasure, that it steals and kills and destroys, they sang the sweet slave songs of Isaiah and they hoped in a suffering servant. They sang this sweet slave song and they set their hope upon the God-man who would bear their sin, who would be crushed for their iniquities. Can you hear them shouting with tears in their eyes, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. When the exiled sons of Abraham looked forward to the coming son of David, they looked forward to the guilt offering that would forever end their sin. This broken bride, stripped naked and shivering on the streets of prostitution, hoped beyond hope that she might be forgiven, that her faithful husband might return. This exiled people who daily carried the weight of their own rebellion knew that their only hope was a Messiah Redeemer. I need someone to bear my griefs. I need someone to bear my sorrows. I fight and I fight and I fight and yet I still sin. I cannot carry the weight of my iniquity. This burden is too heavy. I need a Redeemer. Look to the East. A great Savior is coming. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make them many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Many shall be made righteous. The second advent is the end of sin. Sin will have no place in the kingdom of God. That which promised so much and delivered so little, that drug which took my time, my energy, my family, my job, my hope, that enemy will be forever defeated by the son of David. 
The coming king will kill sin forever. That's the great hope of the coming son. In the history of man, one constant influences every tragedy. From the fall of man to the great Armageddon, the central ingredient to suffering is sin. Sin is the cause of all darkness. Sin is the cause of all pain, all suffering, all death. Our coming king will kill sin forever. Christ came to kill sin forever. Christ bled to kill sin forever and to make, righteous, uh, to make sinners righteous forever. This is the hope of the second advent. Yes, you have been delivered from judgment because of the sacrifice of the righteous son. Yet we still fight a war. Every morning when I wake up, I feel it. It breathes at the back of my neck. Sin is there. I hear the whispers of sin every time I get in my car. Every time I open up a menu at a restaurant. Sin is there. We have been given by the grace of Christ the tools to fight sin, but we will fight every moment that we breathe until he returns. Christian hope in the second advent. When you feel the hot breath of sin at the back of your neck, whisper this sweet slave song and remember your Redeemer. When you fight, when you wage war against your flesh, sing this sweet slave song and remember that you've already won. Remember that it's only a matter of time. Just over 2,000 years ago, a little baby was born to a virgin and 33 years later, he won the final victory. Christ came to kill sin. And when he returns, he will destroy our enemy and he will rescue us from the consequence of our sin and he will vanquish sin forever. This is the hope of the second advent. Now we're going to pray and we're going to, in a moment, approach the table and eat and drink to remember, remember his final victory. And as we do so, let us turn our eyes to the east and yearn for the rising dawn of the second advent.